This is the Patriot Cause with Bud Cornwell, United States Marine Corps retired. Critical race theory is an ideology that presents American history as a sequence of oppressions. It divides the country into oppressor and oppressed based on uh, racial categories. It's something that is deeply alarming. Uh, it casts a revisionist and very pessimistic, even fatalistic cast on all of America's history, dividing students, dividing teachers, and dividing communities, all with taxpayer dollars. The danger of critical race theory is that if it is implemented in schools, it will divide children from one another, it will divide children from their families, it will divide different groups based on constellation of identity categories from one another. It's a solvent ideology. It's something that dissolves uh, human bonds, it dissolves social trust, it dissolves uh, people's sense of agency and confidence and possibility. There's really two ways to go in public education. You either strive for uh, academic excellence that challenges students of all backgrounds to achieve to the highest of their potential, or you strive for a regime of critical race theory uh, or equity, uh, which seeks to level any sense of achievement or excellence. It seeks to reduce uh, students' opportunities, reduce individual potential into an undifferentiated uh, but, but nominally equal mass. Listen, the world is a competitive place. Uh, we need our kids striving to fulfill their academic potential, uh, not pulling them down into a toxic, divisive, and fatalistic abyss of critical race theory. To ensure that their kids aren't being taught the principles of critical race theory, parents need to get involved. They need to demand from their teachers and principals and school boards a copy of all the curriculum and teaching materials to find out exactly what's happening in the classroom. Public education is decentralized across thousands of different uh, districts and tens of thousands of different schools. It requires the participation of parents at the local level to be informed to rally a group together of other uh, families and parents, uh, and then to push back in a way that will make a difference. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it now or ever. Welcome back, Patriots. This is the Gunny and got some more stuff on critical race theory. Can't, cannot stop talking about this because it's evil and it's infecting everything and we have to have a deep understanding exactly what we're facing or we can't defeat it. I want to bring a name to the forefront. His name is Christopher Rufo, and he is a well-known individual on this critical race theory. And what you heard at the beginning of the show is him talking about it, exactly what it is and why we need to stop it. So, what you need to know about critical race theory is all part of this movement to stop it. And when we all get together and understand it, then the country will come together and do what is necessary to stop this critical race theory. 
The Daily Signal is a good place to go for the truth. And I'm going to speak to you about an article that was written on April 22nd. And the title is Keep Racist Critical Race Theory Ideology Out of K-12 Classrooms. And this is what part of the article says. How would you feel if your child came home from school and said her teacher had told her that everything that happens in the world is racist and that she's part of the problem because of the color of her skin? This may sound far-fetched, but such disturbing ideas are coming to your children's school if they're not already there. In Michigan, an educator advisory council to Democrat Governor Gretchen Wimmer produced a, re a report called Social Justice and Anti-Race Resources that included an article in which the author says everything that happens today is racist and the only question teachers and students can ask is how much racism was in play. In Buffalo, New York, the school's district emancipation curriculum told children that all white people play a part in perpetuating systemic racism. The statement was eliminated only after investigating journalist Christopher Rufo, who is also a visiting fellow in a domestic policy studies at the Heritage Foundation, put it in a headline and embarrassed the school system. So Christopher Rufo, even though he's got nothing to do with Buffalo, New York, stood up, said something, and caused this not to happen in the school. That's what we have to do. We have to do this process of standing up to the media, to the school boards, to the teachers, to their face, and tell them it ain't going to happen. That's what we have to do. If your child is coming home from school being taught this crap, do something now. If you know somebody that their child is going to school and being taught this, help that person do something. Without further ado, I'm going to play a clip. It's a long clip, but it's well worth listening. As this lady is interviewing people specifically about critical race theory. Take a good listen to this clip. You know, there's an old saying taken from one of the oldest books known to mankind. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Critical race theory has been and continues today with tenets and principles that are not new, but have become more popular. In December, Mike Gonzalez and Jonathan Butcher took the issues of critical race theory to pen and wrote an issue brief to educate all willing to hear about critical race theory and its rejection of the underpinnings of Western civilization. It has been said that critical race theory looks at all aspects of society through the lens of race and power and claims no human experience can transcend race. Therefore, society and every human relationship exists within the power struggle between the races. Mike and Jonathan, I am so excited about the conversation we're gonna have today with the rest of our colleagues. 
Your paper addresses the perilous events of what we witnessed and experienced last year. And you all noted that it was not so much a reaction to the hatred in the heart of real racists, but to the mindset that critical theory has created. So let's discuss why research on critical race theory is so important right now and how you all have traced the history of the family of critical theories. Mike, let's start with you. Thank you, Angela. <clears throat> I, um, I think it is supremely important now, uh, especially after the, uh, the events that you referenced uh, last week. The left uh, now feels emboldened by the riots at the Capitol that we saw on the day of the Epiphany, uh, the, the, the violent uh, mob that invaded the Capitol have now made it easier to repress conservative ideas and because the left now, frankly, feels it has the upper hand, the moral upper hand. Uh, and because of the results of the elections, the day before the riot, they have all the levers of government power. Uh, they also have all the culture-making institutions. Uh, they have uh, big tech, which, as we can all see, is now um, in, uh, repressing all views uh, that the left does not agree with. And they have increasingly the Fortune 500 companies. So conservatives uh, really have to be very aware of what the moment uh, calls for. And, and you start that by understanding uh, what the left is trying to do. Uh, this push um, uh, for all-out institutional change was already in full blossom uh, before uh, the, the, the Capitol Hill uh, riots. Uh, let's not forget the Speaker Pelosi started the year by removing the words mother uh, father, sister, brother, etc., uh, which she called uh, too gender specific from the rules of the House of Representatives. Uh, you know, the, what, mother is one of the most emotive words we have in the English language, all research shows, and now it's gone uh, because of critical theory. <clears throat> and, and last week uh, began, let's not forget, on Sunday, the Sunday of last week, with Representative Emanuel Cleaver opening the 117th Congress with the words a man and a women. So uh, this is now, because of the uh, the sad events of last week, this is now going to be on steroids, and conservatives need to be very aware of that. I tell you, we are we are really living in some interesting moments, and the work that, that you and Jonathan and, and Lindsay and Chris are doing are so critical. Jonathan, jump into the conversation and, and, and further elaborate on why the research of critical race theory is so important right now. Thanks, Angela. So critical race theory and its parent, critical theory, are rooted in a worldview that want to dismantle so social and governmental norms. Okay, that's what they're after. Racism existed and still exists in some forms today. We're not denying that. We're not denying that issue, and we don't have to, to identify the new intolerance and dogmas within critical race theory. The question is, what do we do about it? So as we explain in our paper, critical theory is not a sympathetic perspective with policy goals that lead to racial reconciliation, freedom and opportunity. That's, that's not what it is. It's talking about subjugation and retribution. One of the founders of critical race theory calls for, quote, transformative resistance strategy in response to the rule of law in our constitutional republic. Critical race theory's adherents are, again, straight from their, their words, quote, highly suspicious of the liberal agenda, and liberal as in classical liberal values and the enlightenment and reason. 
and they, quote, distrust its method. Thus, there is and should be a reflexive response among all Americans on both sides of the ideological divide to concepts that are in, intent on driving public policy that are not committed to freedom and opportunity for all, but only retribution and justice for some. Ronald Reagan said years ago, we have to offer America and the world a larger vision. We must hold out an exciting prospect of an orderly, compassionate, pluralistic society, an archipelago, an archipelago of prospering communities and divergent institutions. This is not the critical race theory agenda. Again, from the founders of critical race theory, it questions the very foundations of the liberal order, including equality theory, legal reasoning, and neutral principles of constitutional law. So like the events of last Wednesday, this is not building, but destroying. And as we explain in our paper and in a few minutes here in the webinar, the applications of critical race theory and policy today have no plans for rebuilding. So, so Mike, just kind of building off of what some of what Jonathan has just laid down, and, and he highlights that unlike traditional civil rights discourse, which stresses step-by-step -step progress, critical race theory questions the very foundations of liberal order. Mike, can you talk more about the roots of, of critical race theory and give us, give us a quick lesson there so as we go over to Chris and, and get him in the conversation, people are really rooted in what we're talking about. Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, briefly, uh, understanding the roots is very important. The, the way we, a moment ago I said that we need to, the conservatives needed to be very aware of the challenge, what the challenge currently is, uh, and the way we grasp the moment begins by understanding the origins of critical race theory, um, understanding that it is merely a tool for changing the country. And I, I wrote a book about this, as you said, The Plot to Change America. Critical race theory is obviously the child of critical legal theory, which starts in, in the 1970s and, and, and holds that the whole legal uh, setup, all of jurisprudence is really only to, to, to prevent, to preserve the privilege of the people who write the laws. And then critical legal theory itself is the child of critical theory, which emerges in Germany in the 1930s, uh, just as the Third Reich has taken a hold of that country. Uh, critical theory is simply an unremitting and devastating criticism of all the institutions of the West, it was started by the, 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 an institute called the Frankfurt School, colloquially, which is a, it was a very important neo-Marxist, Western Marxist institution. Um, so, so what critical race theory does is that it takes this destructive criticism of critical theory uh, and, 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 and of Western institutions, and as its name would suggest, sees all of life through the prism of race. So American history, for example, is interpreted only through the, the lens of fractious race relations. Uh, critical theory and critical legal theory is therefore a Marxist view of life that divides everything into categories of, of the oppressors and the oppressed. And critical race theory colorizes all that. Uh, the oppressed are, are then are African Americans and other categories later to be called people of color that, that were created, that have been created by the government uh, since the 1970s and 80s. Wow. I tell you, I guess a scholar looks at that and sees concentric circles and uh, maybe someone in their youth says, this sounds like an octopus <laughs> with tentacles everywhere. Uh, as critical theory becomes more familiar to the public in everyday life, 
uh, CT CRT's intolerance and the idea of systematic racism is being normalized in the American psyche. And this weakens public and private bonds that create trust between citizens and really allows for um, a civic engagement, if you will. Chris, jump in here and, and tell us about the work that you've been doing and um, the highlights of, of what you think we need to really have our ears open to. Yeah, great. Thanks. Um, so I, I've been working on uh, looking at critical race theory within institutions. So uh, beginning last summer, I worked on a series of investigative reports looking at essentially HR programs in federal agencies and that were increasingly over the last few years being dominated by critical race theory. And to give a few specific examples, um, the uh, National Nuclear Laboratories in New Mexico was holding a critical race theory based training. Uh, in which they took their white male executives to a, a resort and forced them through a, a, a series of trainings to deconstruct their white male identity, uh, which they claimed was uh, kind of consonant with the KKK, uh, MAGA hats, mass killings, uh, all of these horrible things, um, to deconstruct that identity, to essentially publicly condemn themselves, and then to write letters of apology to women and people of color for their whiteness. Um, an, another example, um, you know, the FBI was holding intersectionality training for uh, the FBI employees. Um, uh, the Justice Department was teaching uh, uh, the tenets of critical race theory, and even the Treasury Department was holding training sessions uh, outlining how the United States was a fundamentally uh, racist and irredeemable country. And then uh, asking them to hold uh, uh, kind of sub-training sessions um, along these same lines. And uh, this reporting uh, led to a, an executive order uh, from President Trump banning these trainings in the federal government, um, although it's looking like, uh, I think, with a 99% degree of certainty that that executive order will be canceled and these will come back uh, with a vengeance. So the, the new work that I'm doing this year is um, – Started off this year, I'm, I'm doing a series of, of, of 10 to 15 reports on uh, critical race theory in schools, K through 12. Um, uh, in, in, again, along those same lines, you know, they had, for example, one story that's going to be coming out shortly, um, ha had uh, third graders uh, deconstructing their intersectional identities. So basically slicing and dicing their own kind of uh, internal uh, self-image on the axes of race, gender, religion, sexual orientation, um, transgenderism, etc., and then ranking themselves again, eight and nine-year-olds ranking themselves on a hierarchy of power and privilege. So they're they're really taking these tenets that were once limited to academia, and now trying to basically inject them directly into the bloodstream of every institution from kindergarten. Uh, to the federal government. And uh, this is uh, obviously dangerous. And uh, I think, you know, my, my last short point, um, there's a very kind of direct line from uh, what Mike is talking about, the Frankfurt School and, and, and Marcuse in the 1960s and 70s, to HR programs in pretty much every large institution in the country, to elementary schools, high schools, K through 12, et cetera, but also critically to the street uh, rioting and protests that we saw last year uh, that we talked about at the beginning. Uh, these all emanate from the same core ideologies and 
unfortunately, I think it is pretty much a guarantee that as they perpetuate the institutions with either, even more, even greater force and fury, um, we're going to see um, more unrest. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that they're now training elementary school students how to hold protests, uh, how to um, disrupt the system, how to become revolutionaries. Um, and, and that's the state of play uh, right now. I tell you, I think everyone's ears are burning in terms of what we're going to tell them next. Lindsay, want to get you in on, on the discussion. You know, critical race theory is a complete rejection of the best ideas of, of the American founding. And boy, oh boy, um, this is some dangerous, dangerous um, philosophical poisoning, as, as, as Chris has pointed out, like in the bloodstream. Lindsay, talk about, you know, let's talk about our young people and and why this is such an issue for school boards and parents of school-age children. Yeah, thanks, Angela, and thank you for hosting this event. And I think Chris just now really hit the nail on the head. I would add colleges of education to that list that he just rattled off as well, really disseminating critical theory and critical race theory. You know, I, I think one other uh, institution we should really draw our attention to are school boards in this conversation. And there are 14,000 school boards across the country with 100,000 school board members. And those members really determine the shape and the content of curricula and instruction in classrooms across America. And in fact, those 100,000 school board members comprise the largest group of elected officials in America. And so school boards wield really considerable power over everything from curricula and instruction to even things like school bus routes and superintendent hiring and pay. So at Heritage, we recently commissioned a study because we really wanted to know what both parents and school board members think about a host of issues taking place in classrooms across America, but also these issues that are really emanating from critical theory. And one of those ideas is a 1619 project, which we've talked about at length before on various webinars and, and have uh, excellent scholarship on that from Jonathan and Mike as well. But journalists at the New York Times began the 1619 project in 2019 in an effort to rethink the founding date of America and, quote, reframe the U.S. history by marking the year when the first enslaved Africans arrived on Virginia soil as our nation's foundational date, end quote. And now more than 4,500 classrooms across the country have begun to incorporate 1619 project curricular materials into their, their content. And so this is what we wanted to find out in our survey. So we asked families, we asked school board members across the country, specifically about 1619, and 50% of all parents and 70% of school board members said that they do not want schools to use instructional material based on the idea that slavery is the, quote, center of our national narrative, as the 1619 Project does. With regard to what students should be taught about slavery, 70% of parents and 74% of school board members believe that students should be taught that slavery is a tragedy that harmed the nation, but that freedom and prosperity represent who we are as Americans. And America continues to offer a beacon of hope to those who wish to immigrate here. I would note in that slide that just 25% of parents and only 17% of school board members believe that students should be taught that the founding ideals of liberty and equality were false when they were written. 
and that America's history must be reframed. And then we ask, uh, among all parents, 59%, uh, a majority, want their children to continue to learn that the year 1776, not 1619, is the birth of America. 33% of parents want their children to learn 1619, but the vast majority, 59%, want them to continue to learn it is 1776. And among school board respondents, 73% believe that students should continue to learn that the founding year of America was 1776, and just 16% would like to teach that that founding date is 1619. So if parents and school board members appear relatively opposed to the content being disseminated through 1619, broader critical theory uh, content, which we have a long survey, it's actually being released today. Why are we seeing so many classrooms adopt 1619 content and related content? Education scholar Robert Pondicio chalks it up to teachers using found curriculum, so resources that they find on the internet, not formally, but there's also the bigger issue of who influences that decision-making process, which really brings us back to this question of school board members. The special interest groups are able to shape the policies that are promulgated by school boards to a large degree, in part because a century ago, in an attempt to get school boards out of politics, to get special interest groups out of politics, progressive era reformers slated school board elections to be held as off-year races. And so that decision actually had the opposite effect of what was intended. John Chubb at the Hoover Institute says that school board elections have the lowest turnout of any general election, averaging only about 10% of local voters. And so with low turnout, special interest groups are really able to define that local education narrative and really exert outsized influence on the proposals that ultimately become policy. So I would just say that as school boards adopt curriculum and textbooks across the country, they should bear the findings from the survey in mind. And critically, and we can talk more about this when we talk solutions, but state lawmakers should require public school boards to make curricular materials available for public review. Wow, Lindsay, that, you know, bringing, bringing us back and reminding us of 1619 this year, I mean, something we have to continue to keep our eyes on is, is so important. And the data that you just shared, I mean, it, it should give us hope um, when, when you see that teachers and, and school board members and parents are, are on a trajectory of 1776 and looking for truth. So ask yourself this question. Are you in the fight or are you just going to sit back and let it happen? I am a grandfather. I have no more children living in my home, but I have grandkids. And I will fight for my grandkids till the day I do not breathe air. With this Marxist crap. Luckily, my son homeschools his children, but my daughter does not. And I'm convinced that they are going to be indoctrinated with this Marxism. And it's going to be very difficult to change my grandchildren's minds about the freedom of the United States and how great this country is. That's what scares me most of all. That's why I'm doing something about it. That's why I'm part of the Convention of States to hold the federal government accountable for this crap that they're doing. Go check out conventionofstates.com. Sign up. Sign a petition so your legislators know that you want to do something to help get the power back to the states and the power back to the people, which are you. 
Stand up, show up, speak up. Constantly say that. Get off the couch. Do something. At least go to conventionofstates.com. Sign a petition. At least you're doing something. If you don't have the ability to speak in front of an audience or speak to other people, point them to the Convention of States and selfgoverning.com, another great website that we have. Love each and every one of you. Please share the podcast far and wide. I will see you again next week. This is The Gunny out.